Hello and welcome to Flowing Backwards. Uh, we're back this week with me, Phil Peake, and Ian Four Candles Moss. He's not actually here. He's in Mosley, so we're going to be doing this over WhatsApp. Uh, an experiment. The sound quality does drop occasionally, so I'll warn you now. But it's still good. So it's nice to hear from Ian. We're doing episode number six, which is named Darkness Before the Dawning. And it's it's a good episode. You'll all enjoy it. Especially Mr. Doyle, if you're out there, Mr. Doyle. Every five minutes. Where's the next podcast? Well, here it is, Mr. Doyle. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. Hello, here we are again, flowing backwards with our anecdotal uh, podcast. Me and Phil separated by around 15 miles today. I am no longer um, in Phil's hole. I am operating from home, um, and we are communicating via a WhatsApp device. Very futuristic in these very science fiction kind of days. Uh, Very frightening days, very worrying days. Um, I hope that by the time this is broadcast, we've got a clearer picture of what's going on and there is, we're edging towards some kind of resolution and that you, you people and the people that you love have escaped the worst ravages of this awful um, disease. Anyway, we decided to continue um, the podcast because we know that some people are using these as um, a touch, a touch with, with 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 reality. It's a conversation. We're having a conversation with our listeners, and I know it's important to some people, and it's a distraction, um, and so. Here we are continuing. Anyway, I'll read you um, another one of my poems that are not poems. And um, I've just opened this at random, so I've absolutely no idea what quite what we're getting. But this is called The Conversation. And it goes, Are we to ignore the problem? Let things slide on by. Pretend there's nothing happening. Shall we turn a blind eye? Are we to ignore the problem, avoid the situation? Shall we face the facts? Do we need a confrontation? Let's have this conversation, the awkward conversation, an unpleasant conversation. Without it, things can't change. Do we back down to threats, intimidation and violence? Does it make us bite our tongues? We live in fear and silence. Do we toe the party line? peddled by officials, swept it under the carpet. Is that beneficial? Let's have this conversation, this embarrassing conversation, this ugly conversation. Without it, things can never change. We are an ostrich communally. Bury our heads collectively. Our buried heads cannot see the blight in our society. We do the ostrich. We do the ostrich. We do the ostrich. All the badness we won't see. What we view selective and we feign amnesia that's widespread and collective. Hear no evil, see no evil, and never ever speak. Silence is complicity, 
a signal that we are weak. Let's have the conversation, the difficult conversation, the fact-facing conversation. It's the starting point for change. There you go. Um, I do know what that was about now, because I only wrote it the other day, I realise, but uh, I'm not going to go into a, a long-winded discussion about what stimulates my thought process. You can sort of take it or leave it. Uh, let's get back to things. And we're kind of um, around 1975 going into 1976. So I'm 17 years old um, and I'll turn 18 in late June of 76. And so we're talking about that sort of period. Uh, work is sort of plodding along in much the same old way. Um, one of my major escapes is is football. Not not to play so much anymore, although I do play. But by now, I am um, playing at a standard that I wouldn't have dreamed I would uh, be reduced to. And I am far from outstanding at that standard. I'm a, a very average player in a very average team. But I still have a lot of fun. But I go to football. And... In this period, it's a very interesting phenomenon. Football isn't in those days the shiny bauble of um, the middle and upper classes. It is uh, the working man's ballet. It is not at all a trendy things to do. You, you are, in a way, an outcast by going to football. It is seen as coarse and brutal. And indeed, a lot of what surrounds football is coarse and brutal. The stadium is decrepit and, and there is violence, extreme violence. It's, it's hard to justify some of the things that go on, except it is a release from the tedium of nine to five, Monday to Friday. And and for uh, for a select group, it's it's what we choose to do. So I'm travelling home and away watching football matches, which is gives me a fascinating insight to the state of the nation, because for a great number of people, they simply do not travel. I was born in a town called Denton. Most of my peers do do not really venture out of Denton, apart from perhaps to go to the capital of the region, which is Ashton-Underline. That's the way things, things are. People stay local. They're local people going to local pubs, uh, doing local things. And even a trip into Manchester is a big deal. So people do not travel around the country, except perhaps for a two-week vacation when they might go to... Um, Blackpool or Skegness, or if they're really wild and footloose and fancy free, they might go to Torquay or take on one of the uh, kind of um, growing flights to Torre Molinos, drinking Watney's Red Barrel and uh, Sangria and being sick in swimming pools. So what I'm seeing is the true state of the country and the country is a shithole. Um, it, is, it has never recovered 
from the end of the Second World War. Everywhere you go, cities are crumbling. They are caked black, some more than others. I, mean, I remember going to Cardiff, probably in around 1974, and I have never seen such filth and destitution. But the other places, you know, most of my friends had never seen Middlesbrough or Newcastle, which were foul places. Most of them had never been to North London, which was horrific. South London was worse. You know, it was it was a strange place. Birmingham, which had tried to modernise, and they'd built this um, atrocity, the bull ring, this big concrete atrocity. It was Stalinesque. It was awful. And the police in those days were equally dark and brutal. That was one of the lessons that you you learned by by going to football, that even though I had been brought up to believe that the police were good and on our side and protected us, that soon proved to be um, running contrary to my, to my own experience because the police soon became the enemy. They, uh, they seemed there simply to persecute and brutalise. As I've said, I've, I'm never, I've never been a bad person. I've never, and in, in, in all this era of football violence, I never went looking anywhere for violence at all. That, that is not in my nature. Violence happened around me everywhere, and I was accustomed and hardened to seeing violence. But my buzz was to get myself into a nice little bar and have a few drinks and watch the football. That was the thing. But the police treated anybody who dared to travel as um, as an enemy. And as I had a couple of run-ins with the police around this time. I was arrested at a football match and charged and taken to a juvenile court at Strangeways, uh, the prison, which was a very sobering experience. I was charged with uh, assault on an old lady at a football match. This old lady was a figment of the policeman's imagination, but, the, but that's simply what they did. They trumped up charges and would throw you before a judge. Fortunately, on this occasion, the judge scolded them for the, how preposterous their case was, and they were uh, laughed out of court. But the, I was I was seeing seeing a reality that was different from what I'd been brought up with, and it wasn't pleasant. It wasn't pleasant. I'd, as as I've said previously, I loved reggae music, and reggae music was evolving quickly through the seventies, and you were in a kind of um, roots radix era. 1975 you'd got people toasting which was a, a precursor of of rap and 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 it all sounded militant and a bit dangerous and reggae was a place that um i could retreat into and i i, I loved a lot of the early toasting records and one of my favorites was uri and so we're going to listen to a track by uri and this is Dreadlocks Dread. Once you want it, could I never get it? We'll get it, get it. Still don't desire no more of it. But I say I'm gonna make the best. 
It was a strange time, the 70s, that much um, much glamorised in talking head TV documentaries. And you you would be forgiven for thinking the 70s was all sunshine and polka dots, um, jubblies and those round bouncy things. Um, I forget, the space hoppers. You, you would think it's all that. And you know, ABBA and everything was fun. the 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 reality is much more prosaic because the reality was that the seventies fundamentally were coloured in beige and brown. They were dismal conformist days, and as I've said, the, the streets were death traps. Uh, either through the violence or the danger of a building collapsing upon you, what such was um, the state of the nation. There'd, there'd been the power cuts, there'd been the three-day week, there'd been the bin men strike, where there was rubbish piled in the streets and rats running amok. And, and yet there was this complacency that everything was was okay. It was It was a very strange thing. Around this time, again, through football, I took my first trip abroad onto the continent. And I went to um, a pre-season football match in Ostend, which was very noteworthy because right from the get-go, it it got very ugly. And there was, there was violence on the ferry 
going to Ostend and the ferry was met by um, perhaps 200 um, armed police officers and anybody wearing football colours was herded up and, and, and basically put on the next ferry back, sent away, excluded, being rather wise. I, I simply helped a, a nice Belgian couple with the bags and, and looked like their strangely dressed son. And so uh, I alluded this. And those of us who, who got off the port then made our way up to the town. This is, this. we've, we've docked around 5am and we we got onto uh, what was called Long Street, which was the red light street of Ostend and went into this all night disco bar. We were the only people in there. The, the good thing was I had my first ever taste of Stella Artois and I'd never tasted anything like it in my life. The bad thing was we were in there perhaps 15 minutes and a ship's crew who had been uh, ensconced further up the road decided to attack us. They came um, down these stairs armed with knives and clubs and things and all hell uh, ensued. Somehow we managed to fight our way out of there, throwing glasses at them and using tables and chairs. And we, we got out onto the street, which is by now, you know, it's it's daylight, but it's still only perhaps 6 a.m. And there's this standoff between these two groups and then also that was broken by the, the sound of police sirens, thankfully, really, except the police jumped out of their vehicles and started waving guns around. Now, that was the first time I'd ever had a gun pointed at me, and it's not nice. I fled with, with my friend John, and we ended up... Um, hiding underneath a, um, a 52-seater coach on the front. And, and we promptly fell asleep, to be honest, on the floor under this coach and, and only woke up when the driver got in and started his engine some few hours later. Thankfully, we did wake up. It was, it was strange, strange, strange days. And the world the world seemed mad. But but everybody was seemed complacent. Everybody seemed to think that it was okay. It was driving me mental. Was I the only one who felt like this? I often kind of, you know, mused. Anyway, I clearly wasn't, because around this time, I bought an LP by Peter Hamill. I knew Peter Hamill was, I knew he was in Van de Graaff Generator, but I've never had any of the records, and I bought this one because it was in a reduced bin, basically. And it was called Nadir's Big Chance. And it was a game changer for me. It was um, it was and is a great record. And on it, Peter Hamill predates punk. He, he uses the punk rock as a phrase in his um in his sleeve notes. And and it leans certainly lyrically towards what was to come. And so we're going to play a track from that. And so this is Peter Hamill from Nadir's last big chance, and it's called The Institute of Mental Health is Burning. It was the first day of July. 
snowing bees in the sky. In spite suit, saw that the Institute of Mental Health was burning. He stood up on the corner where the sun was The street, he moved the shackles on his feet as the institute was burning. Flames were roaring, singing like a thunderstorm. Smoke was pouring straight up to the sky. Windows smashing, gothic doors and roofs hollow. Timbers crashing, and we both know why. Nobody else came by to stare You see, they didn't really care We can't call the fire brigade None of them have been paid And so the Institute is burning Say it isn't pretty Everyone agrees Everyone feels glad Dr. Brains Celebrate them everyone Waves their chains It's a pity they're all mad The Institute of Mental Health else was I listening to around this time it's a strange period now because um lots of acts are in serious and terminal decline without a doubt the kinks are past their best the who are past the best roxy music who have only a few years earlier seemed like the savior of music are well past their best John Lennon is treading water. The Rolling Stones don't mean shit anymore. The the great heroes of the counterculture of the 60s, and they don't matter. Nothing, uh, nothing is good 
from from them. There's been an underground scene in Manchester at Stoneground, which was in a uh, in Gorton, and there's there's been some great bands on in there. Unfortunately, by and large, I haven't gone. Um, I don't I don't really know why. I, I suppose I was just stuck in my own prejudices. A lot of it was a biker hangout for one thing, and as I've said before. I didn't like bikers. I didn't trust them. And so I didn't go and see Magma. I didn't go and see Can. I didn't go and see the Flaming Groovies. Lunacy. Lunacy. I'd have loved to have seen all, all these bands. When I did go, I didn't particularly enjoy it. I remember going to see Silverhead, who were a band fronted by Michael DeBars and featured Nigel Harrison, who was later in Blondie. On uh, on base, and I watched. I, I went along because I'd seen pictures, and there was they were clearly cut of a cloth that, that interested me. There was a sort of a thuggy glam, punky sort of thing going on. So I went along, and and they looked the part, but that was that was all. They dressed up, but they were playing this sludge. You know, blues derived rock, and Michael DeBars was, even though I'd never seen uh, Iggy Pop perform, I'd read enough about Iggy Pop. Michael DeBars was clearly just stealing Iggy Pop's act. He had these silver trousers on, no shirt, and at one point, very like Iggy Pop, he came wading into the water, which was too much for the 17 year old me. I felt affronted. And um, I shouldn't have done it, but I did. Um, I punched him right in his solar plexus and took the wind right out of his sails. I just didn't like like them at all. What else was happening? What was better? I mean, there was still still Bob Dylan and Neil Young were still making really good music. You know, Joni Mitchell was making good music. David Bowie, you know, it wasn't all. Completely terrible, as I said. Reggae was in this roots phase, which was fantastic. And what else was happening was disco. Now, disco, it gets a bad rep, disco. But it, but it was exactly, there was a definite change from about 1974, what had just been dancey soul music. There was, um, there was somehow a change. It probably started with um, Gloria Gaynor, and uh, Candy Statham, and, and and then was followed by the likes of Donna Summer and Tavares, and became proper disco acts, and the music was more pounding. And although the messages tended to be simple, they were universal and upbeat, which is, is why um, I suppose it appealed to marginal groups to Hispanics in America and to the gay community, as well as, as, as being great music and, and great to dance to. So that was happening. And simultaneously, as I've said before, the music press was very important. And so I'd be reading the music press avidly. And there was clearly something happening in New York. You would see snippets about these bands who sounded interesting. Patti Smith, uh, first and foremost, and then Television and Per Ubu, 
you know, there was there was something going on. It took a while to filter through to us because even in America, it was a very localized kind of, kind of thing. But um, we did hear it. We we got Patty Smith's horses in 1975, which was a game changer. And Patty Smith summoned up something new, something exciting. She was reclaiming the spirit of rock and roll and funneling it through a different kind of dynamic. And so I'm, I'm going to play play something now that actually predates horses. So so I got horses first, and and then started trying to find things by Patty Smith, and she'd released. Um, a single called Piss Factory. And so we're going to listen to Patti Smith's Piss Factory because it was a universal thing. This was this was what... New York was probably no different than or even more decrepit than Middlesbrough or Manchester in 1975. And this is Patti Smith talking about working in some dead-end job, in some dead-end hole, and this is Piss Factory. Sixteen and time to pay off. I get this job in a piss factory inspecting pipe. Forty hours, thirty-six dollars a week, but it's a paycheck, Jack. It's so hot in here, hot like Sahara. You could faint from the heat, but these bitches are just too lame to understand. Too goddamn grateful to get this job, to know they're getting screwed up the ass. All these women that got no teeth and gum or cranium, and the way they suck hot sausage. But me, well, I wasn't saying too much neither. I was more a schoolgirl, hard-working asshole. I figured I was speedo motorcycle. I had to earn my dough, had to earn my dough. You gotta be late, right? You gotta find the rhythm within. The floor boss slides up to me and he says, Hey, sister, you're just moving too fast. You're screwing up the quota. You're doing your piecework too fast. Now you get off your Mustang, Sally. You ain't going nowhere. You ain't going nowhere. I lay back. I get my nerve up. I take a swig of Rome alarm. I walk up to hot shit dot hook and I say, Shape it up, baby. Shake it up, baby. Twist and shout. Oh, what I could with a radio here. James Brown singing, I love someone. Oh, the Chesters and the Paragons and Georgia Woods and God with the goods and God and missiles. But no, I got nothing, no diversion, no window. Nothing here but a portal in the plaster, in the plaster. Here, smelling dot, hooks, midwife, sweat. I would rather 
So that was Patty, and, and she was heralding um, a new dawn, a new age that would, um, would would soon enough be on us. It was tantalizingly close, tantalizing. I remember going to um, the 1975-76 um, Cup final when Manchester United lost to a blatantly offside goal by Bobby Stokes to Southampton, 1-0. And I, re I remember um, getting there on, on the Friday night, the game on, on a Saturday afternoon, and going out. And I headed, in by, by this stage, I was hearing about this group, the Sex Pistols I'd been reading about. And so um, I headed into the West End, which I knew was our territory, looking for signs of the Sex Pistols, which I didn't find. I simply got drunk, and I remember ripping a poster off um, off a wall. It, it, with Attached to it were probably about another 30 posters. It was like a sheet of wood. And it was Patti Smith's uh, debut English gig at the Hammersmith Odeon with a band called The Stranglers supporting her. Anyway, I fell into my hotel clutching this uh, that would never make it home with me. And, and then I remember getting up the next morning and going, going to breakfast. And there was all, uh, 
there was a there was a change. Everybody was still ever ever so well dressed in those days and so formal. Um, my aesthetic was was differing greatly, and I remember bowling into the dining room in the morning uh, with this tangle of hair, and I'd got this tiny T-shirt that rose up um, above my navel, some ripped-up trousers and no shoes or socks, and perhaps unsurprisingly, uh, but it is a sign of the time, they refused to let me eat breakfast and sent me to get changed properly. Have some decorum. Show some decorum. A sign of the times, anyway. That's that's what it was. And, and as I said, thing this change seems to be tantalisingly close. It wasn't quite there. Eddie and the Hot Rods came along, and 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 you'd read a lot about Eddie and the Hot Rods, and and you realised they'd got something. They'd got this power but they were still slaves to American R&B, and that wouldn't do, you know. I'd say I'd seen Kilburn and the High Roads. I'd seen Graham Parker and the Rumour, and the same applied. The best of all these things from the English pub rock scene were, without a doubt, Dr. Feelgood. And there was a palpable sense of danger and energy about Dr. Feelgood and they looked different. They looked they looked like a gang. They looked like rough chaps. Love and peace didn't come into what they were doing. And they clearly took a lot of amphetamine. I like Dr. Feelgood and I liked this track, the best of the Dr. Feelgood tracks. So this is back in the night.
so that's the feel goods absolutely fabulous um heralding a sea change on these shores while we're getting a glimpse of what's happening in america um soon things would tumble into my lap and briefly um there would be a joy of expression and freedom um but but for now it wasn't quite there and i kind of um would listen to these things engrossed but but not totally taken um my reading was taking me in this direction as well you know i've never really been one for carlos castaneda or tolkien and all these hippie sort of things and i found myself reading a lot and i was reading authors um like john steinbeck writing about the depression depression era america i was reading george orwell's dystopian tales and you know and tales of, of, of the deprivation and Road to Wigan Pier. I was reading Kurt Vonnegut's deeply humanist accounts of the bombing of Dresden in Slaughterhouse Five. You know, I was reading Aldous Huxley, which was engaging my mind, and equally William Burroughs. There was something seditious about um, about their writing, and all this was shaping me and molding me into the adult me i suppose all all the strands were finally kind of coming together um i formed a band i'd actually formed a probably in 1974 i formed a band with uh, my friends stephen and robert we never got as far as having a name we didn't have a drummer but we were just playing covers um what did we play i remember we played get back by the beatles we played summertime blues by eddie cochran uh, uh, we played the kinks all day and all night and we played the who's i can't explain so there's sort of a, a bit of a garage sensibility going through that unfortunately and we, we had a the three of us had a mutual old friend larry from school and larry was a good guitar player he played guitar for a few years and larry got in touch and said can i fetch a drum around and we'll jam so larry fetched this drum around it seemed much older although in truth he wasn't and they played but they played very much in that early 70s cabaret style they were playing chuck berry's jo johnny be good you know but playing it with three times more notes in it than was necessary and it loses the point anyway they were all happy enough with it and they uh larry put it to me that we combine our forces and seek bookings as a cabaret band steve and robert uh, were very keen to do this larry and his friend mike were keen to do this i told them to stick it up their ass there was no way in the world that i was going to prance around in a uh, frilly shirt be acting smarmy and and singing crap and so it didn't happen later on i got to play weirdly enough with larry my friend larry was the guitar player in james later 
and Mike, the drummer, uh, played with me in a band called Kill Pretty. Mike had been, Mike Lee was been in the fall, and uh, he was then later in UKIP. Uh, but the less said about that, the better. I also made a live debut. I found myself in Blackpool with two friends, and we were in the Tower Ballroom one afternoon, and it was packed. And the Tower Ballroom's a big place. There were perhaps a 1,000 people in there. And the reason it was so busy was there was a talent competition with a huge prize. There was a £200 prize. And so the contestants, by and large, were professional acts who were working in the hotels and on the piers. And they were doing nice cabaret things. Encouraged by my friends, I put my name down and they allowed me to perform. So I got on the stage in front of a thousand people, a thousand holidaymakers. Um, and there's a band there. They've got nice tartan jackets and trousers with a stripe down the side, all matching. And they were seemed ancient. They were probably about 35, um, but they seemed terribly old. And um, I set about performing a couple of rock and roll numbers, um, Around and Around by Chuck Berry, which David Bowie had covered, and Summertime Blues by Eddie Cochran. So we start with Summertime Blues, and I get to the first chorus, and this band are playing as if they're accompanying Cliff Richard. You know, they're playing this nice, twangy, clean gunk. Um, and and even at age 17, I, I'd developed something of an attitude. And at the first chorus, I turned round and glared at them in, and then snarled at them, fucking play it fucking harder. Amazingly, they responded. And so... We blasted through um, Time Blues and round and around to the tiniest smattering of applause. People were completely nonplussed. This wasn't what they were used to in, uh, in the hotels and bodegos to Blackpool, um, except for one huge teddy boy came rushing towards me, engulfed me in his arms with tears in his eyes, and I kid you not, real tears in his eyes, and he said, I thought rock and roll had died with Gene Vincent. It hasn't. You were the best thing I've seen since Gene Vincent. I was sold. I, uh, the man bought me drinks, and I was made. I, it, just that one connection. I knew then that the stage was for me. <laughs> showbiz. I became a showbiz kid. I loved it. I loved the feeling. I loved the power. Um, and I knew at some point that and meanwhile, opportunity wasn't there. And so it was back to the disco, which I'm saying was a great thing. And the greatest disco record for me of that era, of that early era, uh, because there was a sort of second wave of disco heralded by uh, Giorgio Roder and then uh, the Bee Gees and things. But um, in this first wave of disco, my favourite disco record, and it's what we're going to leave you with uh, today, was by Shirley and Company, and it's shame, shame, shame. <laughs>
Don't stop the motion If you get the notion You can't stop the group Cause you just won't move Got my sunroof down Got my diamond in the back Put on your shaggy Okay, that was Shirley and Company, Shame, 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 which uh, wasn't just my favourite record at the time. It was John Lennon's favourite record at the time. And, uh, of course, John, um, listening to a riff played by Carlos Colomore in David Bowie's company, started singing Shame, Shame, Shame. And David Bowie changed that to Shame and uh, an iconic, huge number one record was born. Uh, from that so anyway that's um us for um this session we do hope you've enjoyed it we do hope that you're staying well um my love to phil love you pal thank you for doing this with me um i love to helen who's upstairs doing sensible things doing very beautiful drawings probably i don't imagine because that's what she tends to do and my love to all you people who are listening. Please take care. Stay safe. Bye-bye. Thank you very much for that, Ian. And 
it's a goodbye from me as well. So we will see you or you will hear from us on our next broadcast. Don't forget the website www.flowingbackwards.co.uk Send us a, um, a, a message, an email, you name it, just send it. Also, if you want a shout putting out, put that on there. And also, Flow Backwards on Facebook. Pop in for a chat. Okay then, goodbye.